This episode of Jesuitical is brought to you by Margaret Nichols, Mary Collett, Mary Quinlan, Mary Sullivan, Matthew Cavillian, Matthew Kirish, Maureen Windmuller, Megan Thal, Michael Kelly, Michelle Frankel Donay, Nicholas Frega, Phil Giggy, Rachel Kelly, Richard Dunks, Rosa M. Del Saz, Samantha Mercanti Anthony, Sarah Neville Jimenez, Tom Tancredi, Verity Caruso, Vivian Veloso Macaspac. Thank you all, Patreon supporters, so much for making the show possible. We can't do it without you. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the graciously young, increasingly hip, and gratefully lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. I really like hearing you say my name every week. Also, hi guys. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Olga. And Zach Davis. Hello. It's good to be with you, Ashley. Good to be with you, Olga. Likewise. Great to be with you guys. Uh, what are we drinking this week, Zach? This week we are drinking uh, brown liquor uh, in the form of bullet bourbon. Um, it <laughs> How did was you say that? Bullet. Bullet. Um, bullet. I always it's said bullet. bullet. It is okay. bullet. In Brooklyn we say bullet. Uh, yes, That's not true. you're so fancy. I know. Um, <laughs> but it was requested by our guest this week. Yes. So this week we're chatting with Michael Arsenault, who is the author of I Can't Date Jesus, Love, Sex, Family, Race, and Other Reasons I Put My Faith in Beyonce. Um this is a New York Times bestselling book. It's um, <laughs> just a warning for people who might want to also read this. There, there's a, there's and, a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe don't <laughs> read it with your grandmother over tea. Yes. Um, but it's a very um, open, vulnerable um, telling of what it's like to grow up as a gay black Catholic um, in Houston to a very Catholic family. Um, who, you know, Michael was met with rejection when he came out of the closet um, and he's since left the Catholic Church, but he still has a lot of really thoughtful things to say about faith um, and forgiveness. Uh, it's so, a really great interview. Uh, looking forward to sharing it with the listeners. But yep. first. Yes. Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What do we have this week, Zach? So we have... <sighs> Yeah. Really was hoping to not do another giant sex abuse story, but Likewise. we're we're at it again. Um, there was sort of this bombshell story that broke over the weekend that um, has been met with a lot of developments. And so we are recording this on Tuesday evening. And so things are likely to change by then. Uh, so if you're listening to this, keep, keep that in mind. The news is that the former papal ambassador to the United States, the, the nuncio, is the official term, uh, has accused several Vatican officials and church leaders, including Pope Francis, of knowing about Cardinal Theodore McCarrick's misconduct and lifting sanctions and restrictions placed on him by Pope Benedict. These are huge allegations, and it requires breaking them down a little bit. Yeah, So, so we're going to go through that. Yeah, we would start with kind of like a timeline of, uh, of Cardinal McCarrick. Um, he was a very high-ranking Catholic official. He was the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., um, and he's kind of a central figure in all of this. So here's the timeline. Um, in the 70s, when McCarrick was a priest in New Jersey, he had allegedly abused at least one teenage boy. Um, then when he was a bishop in two different New Jersey dioceses in the 80s and 90s, he's accused of sexually harassing seminarians. Um, and he had this beach house that he would invite seminarians to come to and would invite them to share his bed with them. Um, in his letter, uh, Archbishop 
Vigano. This is the Nuncio that's accusing the Pope Um, and other people. He says that as early as 2000, he told people at the Vatican, maybe up to John Paul II, but at least very high people at the Vatican about these allegations against Cardinal McCarrick. Probably with harassment of adult seminarians, not the abuse of minors, which at the time, I mean, it's still treated differently, but at the time definitely was. Yeah. Um, And he, he says he was... You know, they did nothing. They ignored his his um, accusations. In the letter, Vigano also states that Pope Benedict, in, um, he says sometime in 2009 or 2010, he acknowledges that he can't remember the exact date, but he says that Pope Benedict placed restrictions on McCarrick. And these, these restrictions included um, he had to leave the seminary that he was a part of. He was not allowed to celebrate mass in public. He couldn't lecture. He couldn't travel. And he basically had to just live a life of prayer and penance. Um, the letter, he also states that in 2013, Pope Francis was actually made aware of McCarrick's misconduct, yet he continued to cover for him and even took him on as an advisor. Um, and he said that Pope Francis also removed the restrictions that Benedict had placed on McCarrick. Um, fast forward to and so fast forward to this year, June. Pope Francis removes Car- then Cardinal McCarrick from ministry when the allegation that he abused a teenage boy was found to be credible by an investigation led by the Archdiocese in New York. And in July, Cardinal McCarrick offered his resignation from the College of Cardinals. Pope Francis accepted that resignation and ordered uh, McCarrick to a life of prayer and penance pending a Vatican trial. And in this letter, Vigano is actually also calling on Pope Francis to resign. He's saying that he should set an example for other bishops and cardinals who were a part of this cover-up. Here we should say Vigano's letter does not actually relate to the allegations of uh, clerical abuse against a minor that led to Cardinal McCarrick's resignation. It has to do maybe with his harassment against seminarians. Um, But regardless, he came out with this letter now and is now calling for this resignation. By the Pope. Yes. So Pope Francis responded to this on his flight back uh, from Ireland. He didn't say much. He said, uh, read the statement carefully and make your own judgment. I will not say a single word on this. And so he's sort of trusting journalists to investigate this themselves. Which I think um, I was a little taken aback by that. Pope Francis is known for being a very pastoral leader. And I think a lot of Catholics at this point were looking to him for just a response that could help them like interpret these really extreme allegations and yeah, it's not every day that a high-level Vatican official calls on the Pope to resign. Yeah, and and his response is basically like, uh, it speaks for itself. And it's like, okay, maybe journalists have the resources to investigate into this. But meanwhile, everyday Catholics are kind of wondering, like, mm-hmm. what does this mean? And a number of bishops have responded to this, e- either calling for investigations or denying parts of it. Um, we can't get into that a ton. Uh we also can't use, uh, we can only get in your podcast feed once a week. Um, so make sure you're looking to America for extensive, you know, up-to-date, to-the-minute coverage. Yeah, um, our fo- national correspondent, Michael O'Loughlin, has, like, broken this down in, like, the most clear, concise way that I've seen anywhere. Yeah. I found that really, really helpful. So, And we will post these in our social media feeds and our Facebook groups. So check that out as well. But there are some things to get into here. Yeah. So first, I would say... These are serious claims, and they should be taken seriously and investigated. Um, you know, they're coming from a very high-ranking official who was, you know, he was in, he was at the Vatican, he was in D.C., he would be privy to conversations. Um, and Pope Francis does not have a perfect track record on sex abuse. He has been slow to respond to accusations um, previously. So, that said, 
There are also reasons to be skeptical. Uh, one is that Vigano is kind of vague in the way that he makes these claims in a way that leaves mm-hmm. a lot of room for interpretation. He never says explicitly that he told Pope Francis that Cardinal McCarrick was engaged in sexual abuse or sexual harassment. He says that Cardinal McCarrick corrupted generations of seminarians and priests. That could mean a lot of things. That yep. he, they could be corrupted with ideology, ideology, with, liberation yeah. theology. Yeah, a number of things. And he, he and he's saying that Pope Brandid, Pope Benedict ordered him to withdraw to a life of prayer and penance. And that apparently happened in 09 or or 2010. He can't remember. He can't remember. And there is plenty of evidence in the public record of Cardinal McCarrick saying mass with people like Pope Benedict and Vigano and going on television and going before Congress in those years where he was apparently under sanction. Another thing that people have pointed to is that a lot of the letter is also devoted to condemning homosexuality. Vigano refers to what he describes as the homosexual current within the church. And he adds that, and I quote, they strangle innocent victims and priestly vocations and are strangling the entire church and therefore must be eradicated. Yeah. So so I think a lot of people are saying, like, if your real concern was that there is this abuse happening Mm -hmm. and that it's being covered up. Focus on that. Don't turn this into an 11-page screed against the supposed gay lobby within the Catholic Church. Some some have called it an anti-gay tirade, and I I think we would be included in calling it that. Um, Here's another reason to be skeptical is that while we can't know Vigano's motivations, and, you know, his motivations might not matter, um, but we do know a few things. The timing of it was interesting right the sexual abuse crisis has been happening boiling over especially in the united states for uh a while since uh the allegations against mccarrick in june were first revealed um it happened while pope francis was in ireland um away from home he was gonna have a press conference right after uh it was also given to media outlets that have been critical of pope francis in the past ahead of time um and also pope francis and vigano have clashed uh, back when Vigano was nuncio in, to the United States ahead of time. And so all of these things taken in the context need to just be understood. But I think the thing is, like, all of these all of these surrounding uh, facts, you know, who he gave it to, uh, the history, the context, really just posits this as, like, Vatican power struggle, mm-hmm. and the voices of survivors are getting lost. And that is a great tragedy and it's it's swallowed Catholic media in the past week. And another thing that kind of adds to the frustration that we're already feeling is there's so much ambiguity surrounding this letter. Um, there was late, there was reporting after the letter came out that said that Pope Benedict might have confirmed parts of the story, and now there are, are reports that he has not. So this this just the ambiguity behind all of this just continues to add. Yeah, up. a lot of stuff remains unclear, mm-hmm. and so there are still but there are still questions that we have. Yeah, and I think the most important thing that we we want to know, and it should be possible to find out, is if if Pope Benedict actually put sanctions onto Cardinal McCarrick, um, and if he did, if Pope Francis removed them. Um, yeah, what were what were the restrictions? What were the sanctions? When were they? And did Francis know about them? And did he lift them? Yeah. So I I personally would like Pope Francis to give us an answer to that, and I would like other people who are in the know and would know. Um, to go on the record and let us record. know what's going on. Uh, so in all of this, you 
might have missed that the Pope was in Ireland this weekend. It, uh, it, the media storm around Vigano's letter was huge, and it definitely overshadowed this a bit. But this was still a big trip. The Pope hasn't been to Ireland in a long time, um, and so we didn't want to let this slip off your radar. Yeah, so the last time a Pope was in Ireland, uh, and the first time a Pope was in Ireland, was in 1979, a Pope now Saint, John Paul II, went to Ireland. I was surprised. That's a long That's a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ireland has changed a lot since the 70s. Um, since then, they have voted to legalize same-sex marriage, and they recently had a referendum that made it possible for them to legalize abortion. Um, this is a country where the Catholic Church's reputation and credibility has been really hurt by um, sex abuse scandals and, um, and so, and scandals the, of uh, religious orders uh, taking babies from unwed mothers right. and giving them up for adoption. There's a number of scandals involving the church that yeah. have lo- led to a loss of credibility. So even before this bombshell letter, there was there was a lot hanging over this trip, and I think you know it was going to be a hard trip regardless. But mm-hmm. there was at least some hope that like the Pope could like inspire the faithful in Ireland. Um, So we wanted to bring three highlights from the visit. Um, The first was uh, a visit with survivors of sexual abuse. So on Saturday, Pope Francis spent an hour and a half with eight survivors of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse um, at the hands of Catholic clergy and women religious. Um, He condemned corruption and cover-up within the church as caca, literally filth as one sees on a toilet. Just let that (laughs) translation speak for itself. He also visited the Chapel of Apparitions at Knock, and this tiny town became really popular, became a really popular pilgrimage site in 1879 after people in the town described seeing a vision of Mary along with St. Joseph and St. John. Um, So it's been a really popular place that people visit every year. So here, Pope Francis placed a rosary and prayed for the survivors of sexual abuse. Yeah. And again, this theme of uh, Pope Francis responding to sexual abuse really was pervasive throughout the visit. Um, and the last thing was a mass in Dublin um, where Pope Francis used the penitential rite to ask for sins of ask forgiveness for sins of sexual abuse, for taking babies from unwed mothers and for giving them up to adoption without the mother's consent. And this is something that a survivor specifically asked him to do, was to publicly ask for forgiveness of this in the meeting that Ashley spoke about. Um, Unfortunately, he was saying it to a much smaller crowd than was expected. The Vatican mm-hmm. was expecting half a million people to come to this. Uh, apparently, 130,000 showed up. Um, and that's compared to when John Paul II celebrated Mass at the same park in 1979, and more than a million people came. That just shows uh, that Ireland has changed a ton yeah. since then. Joining us in studio today is Michael Arsenault. He is the author of the new book, I Can't Date Jesus, Love, Sex, Family, Race, and Other Reasons I've Put My Faith in Beyonce. Welcome to Jesuitical, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're very, very excited. So first question, you were raised by a really devout Catholic mother and you went to church all throughout high school. Um, So how would you describe your experience of being Catholic? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I usually use the term recovering Catholic to describe myself now, which I'm very sarcastic, so I usually mean it tongue-in-cheek, but apparently that's an offensive term, but I actually do feel that way to an extent. Um, As I mean, I write in the book, like, I found Catholicism initially very comforting. Like, I found religion comforting. I grew up in a very chaotic chaotic household. My dad was an alcoholic. He could get violent. Um, 
So there was a lot of trauma related to that. And I think one thing like religion kept me through. So I always kind of had that respect for it because I saw what it did with my mother. Um, but my mom was very Catholic. So um, Wait, when you say it kept you kept you through, what do you mean? Um, religion is important because you need typically something to believe in. I think that's like the importance of faith. Like you have to believe that there's something brighter that will come at the end. And I think for me at the time, religion was that. Um, but my mom was very Catholic. Like I had um, religious cards with the saints and like instead of the sports cards, like with St. Martin <laughs> de Porres and all of those things. And then, Did you have a favorite saint when you were little? Um, I liked St. Michael for narcissistic reasons, but I liked the <laughs> prayer. So, yes, yeah. I like St. Michael because that was the one that, like, kicked Satan out. Yeah. So, you know, good name. Also looks, like, very intense yes. on the prayer card. My mom claims I was named after St. Michael, but I was actually named after Michael Jackson. My sister spelled that for her. She said St. Michael and St. Joseph. My sister was like, no, it was Michael Jackson. But, no, um, I watched biblical cartoons. I had, like, Catholic versions of the kids' Bibles. My mom used to read the Catholic League newsletter. She might still get that if I'm oh, I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of ca- Catholic paraphernalia around the house. Um, always bless yourself before you leave the house. Mm-hmm. I definitely wore a scapular, holy oil, holy salt. She sent those things to me well into college. Went to catechism, <laughs> confirmation. And at some point you were approached about being a priest. Yes. yes. Walk, walk uh, us through that. Um, yes. Uh, so there was a, a priest named Father Marty. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure as you all know, like there um, are not a lot of priests. Um, then during a routine confession, by the time I went away for college, um, he said he saw a priest in me after he was asking me certain questions. And then, I could tell he not only wanted more priests, but he was trying to look find more priests that looked like me. So in theory, I got it. Like even at twenty, I like I peep game. I'm like, <laughs> you're looking around like I'm more of than yeah, you right. know. You need you know you need that. You want a friend, and you also mm-hmm. want to make sure like this church is taken care of. Uh, yeah, I'm not a priest, so that didn't work out. But you mentioned that in the book that it's so caused you to reexamine your faith a bit. So can um, you talk about that a bit? I had already been questioning my faith, but um, when I say it made me question my faith, it made me want to actually go back and look more into the theology behind the idea that being gay is so inherently wrong and abhorrent to God. So that had me starting to read different literature and read different perspectives, read from actual theologians. And I remember watching a documentary for The Bible Tells Me So. So it talks to, um, for those unfamiliar with uh, different members of um, clergy from each sect of Christianity and a rabbi. So it was breaking down like the six verses uh, in the Bible that mentioned homosexuality and added context, like what abomination actually meant at the time. And, this, and by then I had it kind of settled that I wanted to write in some capacity. So I was became more interested in like the use of allegory and metaphor. And, cause, you know, those were idioms of the time is what Desmond Tutu said in the thing. And then from there, I just started reading other books and different like articles, just trying to talk you, to people. You knew pretty early on that you were gay, right? You write yeah, that in the book. Like I, I knew I liked boys more than girls around six. Yeah. And then when, when, you, when you came out to your family um, and friends, how, how did that, affect your relationships like with your mom or or with the uh, church specifically well, i can't date jesus is the title the title chapter is related to my mother in a conversation uh she's still in that same place uh we have creative differences what over. place is that um she said i know you're born gay but if you have sex and get hit by go outside and get hit by a bus i don't know where you're going and it's like well girl i can't date jesus what do you want me to do um and since then the book has come out uh she has not read it um she has no plans to read it um, <laughs> but w- will you send her this interview with the Catholics? Uh, Is that going to be an in? Probably not. Um, she'd probably end up throwing holy water at y'all. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we need it too. Um, you have this quote. Um, it's I think it's in that that chapter. You say she didn't want me to go to hell, but couldn't see that. 
to not be wholly human might be my own version of hell on earth. Yes. That really struck me. What what did you mean by that? Well, I think my mom is like a lot of people um, who are going through things and have a greater faith in God are kind of waiting to die to live. Like they're waiting for the afterlife for their award. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having post-life aspirations. I get that. But, you know, for me, I think God gave us the gift of discernment. I think God gave us this life for a reason. So for me, it's important to kind of live, make the most of the life that you have instead of waiting for a reward tomorrow. I think you can do both in tandem. But particularly with that quote, uh, my mom is essentially telling me, which is what the church says to us collectively, that you basically shouldn't act on your urges because you might go to hell. So it's, it's telling you not to have pleasure. And that's what I mean by ha- having a whole life. A life, sex is important. Um, companionship, all of those things matter to people. No one, if you want that, then you should have the opportunity to have it. You shouldn't be burdened with this idea that you're going to burn in hell over literally what you cannot control. And I just find the idea of not living out loud, not being full and whole in the life that you've been given to be kind of silly. Um, and there are people who are within the church and all Christian churches trying to kind of elevate the conversation, enact change, and really push, frankly, these old men to adapt and be more realistic. But it's it's not personally my fight. So you, you no longer claim to be Catholic, but you still believe in God. Um, how would you describe the God that you do worship? Um, I have a very vague idea. Um, to be honest, I don't really gender God anymore. Um, I usually just say God and I don't identify a gender. I try not to attribute um, what I feel like kind of human characteristics to God. Um, I think Jesus is a swell fellow. Um, he was good to the poor. He was good to people. He was friends to all. He was non-judgmental. He was honest. I try to live as close to that as I can, but I don't yeah, I don't consider myself Catholic. Um, I wrestle kind of with the, even the, the Christian label. I don't necessarily claim it anymore, but I do think Christian ideals are, um, if you actually live by them, they're great. Um, and I do write in the book how I went to the ch- church, a, a church for the first time in five Beyonce albums last year. Um, I really like <laughs> Is that. Is that how church. you measure time? <laughs> yes. I tend to, everything goes by Beyonce. Do you still uh, pray? I do still pray. Yeah. What's I that do, like? Um... It's it's very simple. I try I, I try to always catch myself and like stop acting like God is Santa. Um, <laughs> I usually make it very quick. I just say thank you. Um, protect my nieces. Protect my family. I want the best for my friends. Please protect me. Please help me. Please help people I love. It's very simple. Sometimes I just look up and talk, and then I go to sleep. I still get on my knees, which is you know you can't take the Catholic completely out of me. Um, <laughs> But that's like, you are recovering, as you yes. say. Yeah. I think, for, and I kind of put this in the book, that I kind of want to leave a door open. I intently wrote, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be agnostic or atheist, because I personally find that to be lonely. Um, so me praying is my way of leaving the door open, because I actually do think Leaving the door open to... God. I, I do think God, I don't think you step outside and this is this happenstance. I could be totally wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that. Um, and so... That for me is just to kind of acknowledge that there's something bigger than me and to be grateful and to be kind and to just want the best for the people I care about. That's my way of kind of like keeping the door open. Well, and, you, and there's evidence of that in, in your book also, right? You you accept an invitation to go to church that is I in did. a way like keeping the door open. Yes. I mean, it was uh, my best friend knew I wouldn't, I'm like, I'm not going to walk in and be saved. Um, but the thing is, uh, no one had actually really directly asked me, like, do you want to come to church? 
Um, for a while, my mom gave up on me going to mass. She gave up on me going to mass. Wait, wait, was your mom asking you to go to mass? Yes. But more as like wherever. Go not back with, to God's yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it started from you need to go back to mass. And then it went to, well, you should just go to a church. It doesn't have to be a Catholic church, which for her was actually a big, um, that's a big thing because she'd rather me be home home. But yeah. she opened, she's like, well, go to, just go to any church. Just go to God's house. She's, she since stopped because it's like, girl, you keep talking. <laughs> it's not going to work. I, th- I think she realized ultimately um, as stubborn as she is, I am my mother's son. Though this uh, is the feast of Saint Augustine, whose mom, you know, berated him for years and years and years to go. I should text her that she'd be impressed. <laughs> um, I'd have to give you credit, but yes. Um, but no, Andre asked me, and I went, and it was nice. And I actually went back. Um, I ended up interviewing that pastor, Pastor Mike, um, for a podcast pilot I was working on at the time. Uh, yeah, it was fun because I found him to be a theologian. I found him to be realistic. Um, that's my only thing. Particularly if you talk about sexuality with the Bible or even like gender roles and these these types of things, you can't just repeat the story. Like I'm a writer. Like it's it's not gonna. I'm gonna challenge you in a very specific way. So it was nice to actually talk to somebody who is a theologian who actually really understands the Bible. Isn't just repeating verses, kind of like the equivalent as I put in the book, like a talking head on cable news. He actually knew what he was talking about. He was well more. He was far more informed than me. So I actually learned something from the conversation. I found it elevating. And I actually think he gives a really good word. And I kind of put in the book, that was the, that was the Christianity I wish I saw when I was really struggling. Um, what do you think that would have, what difference would that have made? I think if you caught me much earlier, around the time when I was generally trying to still be in church, you would have probably been able to keep me there. Yeah. But by then I went off and found my own thing and I didn't find, I didn't need it to go. I I wasn't really trying to go back. You know, I actually might go back to that church just to go. But I think in terms of me being an active churchgoer, those those days are gone. Um, how much of your inspiration came from wanting to reach Beyonce through this book? <laughs> Everything I do is ultimately about Beyonce. Um, I'm actively... And how, do you have any idea if she's heard of the book, read the book? I... Mm, I mean, it's on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't know if she... Here's the thing. I do think Parkwood people are aware. It's up to... I'm, I mean, I'm, she's from your hometown. I, I am actively trying to get the book in her hands. She is on tour, <laughs> but I am actively trying to get the book in Lots her hands. Lots of reading time when you're on tour. I will say, I I think... I think the book will reach her. I just don't know when it will reach well. her, but I, I think, think so it will too. reach she's her. She's really plugged into like she is Twitter very, and like very Black Twitter. In. She's very in there. So. She's a lurker. So she's aware of things. And I know Park yeah. would never, they always know when something's mentioned mm-hmm. with Beyonce. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm hopeful that will actually happen. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, last question. We ask all of our guests. Um, if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, I don't. I think we're gonna like take Beyonce off the table no, because she's your deity, so she can't really also be a saint. Mary right? J. Blige. Oh, there we go. All right, give us the give the us pitch. the pitch. Um, there's a story in the book, but long story short version. Um, she also helped keep me alive because even when I was nine years old, I had never heard someone sing about pain in that way, and even though I necessarily have the language because I was young, pain knows pain. And I think the way she presented pain, like you can be this whole functional person, you can bop through it, you can do all, it. I don't know, the way she sung about pain on my life kind of really spoke to me. And then when I met her, I gave her a letter and she called me back and left a voicemail that I still have to this day. And I found her spirit to be so earnest and gentle. And she has helped so many people 
by opening up about her struggles that she's inspired other people. So in my mind, she is a saint um, and she deserves all the blessings. All right. St. Mary. Yes. <laughs> all right. Got a lot of company. <laughs> <laughs> the book is I Can't Date Jesus, Love, Sex, Family, Race, and Other Reasons I've Put My Faith in Beyonce. Michael Arsenault, where can people find this book and your work? I am ava- available wherever books are sold. And if you want to actually hear my country twang, uh, I am available in audiobook form too, which is apparently doing very well, Which because I didn't realize audiobooks were still such a thing. Yeah. But yes, I'm, I mean, I'm, we're not supposed to plug any routines. So I'm cheaper somewhere than others. So yes, please buy the book. <laughs> uh, and I'm on social, so young. The regular way, S I N I C K. That's my rap name that I never oh. use. Yeah. Young Cynic? Yes, Young Cynic. Uh, nice. Yes. Thank you so I much for you're saying me. like Young Sin Ick. Like, oh, Ew, if, I, if I were saved, <laughs> yeah. I, if I get saved and become a gospel rapper, I'm going to tell people that's what it is. Michael, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for having me. Thanks for joining us. All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. As you heard at the top of the show, we are so grateful to our supporters on Patreon. Um, We love doing this podcast. We're lucky to do this podcast. Uh, It's an important ministry for us. Um, But if we are going to keep doing it, we need your um, not only spiritual and moral support, but your financial support. So if you could go to patreon.com slash americamedia, um, and give us a little bit of money every month. That'd be really helpful. Um, it's great. We're building a community here. And I think uh, having, you know, lay-led spiritual communities is really important at a time like this. Also, that is majority female. Yeah. I'm so excited to be on a podcast that's yeah. led by strong Catholic women. Yeah. I don't say that enough. And so I just stop. to jump I, This in is here. the second time you've said this, and it's still making me tear up. So stop. I can't. <laughs> Why do you have to bring gender into this? Sack? Know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Also, if you guys want some really cool and fun swag, Jesuitical t-shirts and all sorts of Jesuit swag are available for purchase online at jesuitswag.com slash jesuitical. But you can also get one of these t-shirts if you're a donor on Patreon. All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? I've got a desolation this week, um, and it's tied to all of the sexual abuse crisis coverage that we've been covering for a while. Um, And I've talked about on the podcast sort of the curiosity and the excitement that I felt um, after the Holy Land and after getting engaged and just feeling like, oh, my God, I'm ready to start my life in the church and get baptized and do all of these wonderful things. Um, But lately, I've just been it's been really hard to pull myself away from sort of the darkness and the evil that we're seeing right now. Um, And I keep asking myself, like, do I really want to be a part of this church at this time when this is happening? Um, And I know that, you know, that's the evil spirit talking to me and trying to get me to stay in that desperation. Um, But it's been really, really hard to pull myself away from that. Um, So that's been really desolating um, for me this week and for the past few weeks. Yeah, no, I've thought a lot about like people who are going through RCIA while this is happening because I've I've seen some of their responses on social media and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I can't imagine. Yeah, because I was really excited about it and now I'm like, do I really want to like sit in this space with another person in the clergy who like I love, like we work with people who are great, but I'm like, that's not what I want in this moment. And it's just, it's been so hard to pull away from that, so... I also have a desolation related to that. People have talked about a temptation to despair in the faith in general. And for me, it's much more been in 
a temptation to despair in my vocation. And I'm thinking, why do I have to put myself through all this? Why do I need to stare into this palace intrigue um, of these these Vatican infights? Why can't I? I, I want to just cling close to Jesus right now. And that that is the desire that I should pay attention to, right? This desire to pay attention to Jesus. And instead, I am very much like susceptible to paying attention to this other thing that says like you don't have to use this platform that you have to actually do some good to be a catholic journalist and uh, help find out the truth help help people through this that and that's the thing that i'm struggling with paying attention to this week so that's my desolation yeah i i share that desolation uh very much but i in the lead up to this episode i really was like okay i need to find a consolation like god has to be somewhere in all of this um and this is small but it's what i found on sunday i was hanging out with a friend and i invited her to mass it was actually zach's sister (laughs) (laughs) um even in the midst of all this i still i still found that part of me that that wants to share this with other people even when like there's part of me that was like, oh, I don't want to go to mass. I was just like, no, not only do, am I going to go to mass? Like I, I want someone else to come. And, and she said, yes. And she came and I was like, I don't, I don't really feel God in my life right now, but apparently this invitation meant something to her. She said, yes. In that, yes, there, I know God is operating somewhere, even though I can't see my it mother, right now. My mother's going to be psyched. <laughs> You got my sister to mass, so this is good. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Uh, take us out of here. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced this week by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Our editor. Blondio is on a well deserved vacation. She, more than anyone. Enjoy your time. Yes. We miss you, but you can stay away for a while. Yep. Our editor is still Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by Virtual Hogan. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering by Kieran Freeman. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Teresa Coda. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis, and we are actually off next week for the Labor Day weekend. Um, So instead of listening to us, celebrate by joining your local union. (laughs) 